0: Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, Morgan's Mentors, Morgan Neesmith will be talking with industry representatives about career challenges, mentor and mentee advice. Welcome to DFI's podcast channel, broadcasting Common Ground. I am Morgan Neesmith, and it is time to move the needle on our podcast on mentorship and careers in the deep foundation and engineering world. Now, one of the goals of the podcast for this year, in particular, was to get a, a more international, a broader perspective. And as part of that effort, today we're going to talk to Dr. Martin Larish. He is the technical leader for ground engineering in New Zealand for Jacobs, as well as being an independent geotechnical consultant and a former adjunct professor at the University of Queensland. He has written numerous papers and regularly presents seminars and workshops on ground improvement, ground engineering, deep foundations and retention systems and advanced concrete technology. Martin, thanks very much for joining us today.
1: Thanks Morgan, good to see you. And um, yeah, thanks for the opportunity and the invitation. Really thrilled to be here. I,
0: it's, personally, it's great to have you here. Uh, I have, as we've discussed, read a number of your papers, and, and I'm always interested to talk to you. Um, also, as someone who worked internationally, I find your background somewhat fascinating, and uh, I would love for you to tell our audience about that background coming from Europe, moving to Australia, now New Zealand, and then the various career and academic pursuits you had during that time.
1: Perfect. Um, yeah, I will. I will start. And um, I'm originally from Germany. Um, grew up in a in a um, little city called Braunschweig in the northwestern part uh, of Germany. Um, basically, did my uh, apprenticeship as a carpenter before I studied civil engineering. It's not uncommon in Germany to do that because education is free. And if you want to go to a certain university, you will have to wait if your grades are not really up there. And um, So lots of people use this opportunity and the universities, at least back then, um, it was a requirement. You had to work at least one year on site, everybody. And um, doing an apprenticeship was a good way um, to bridge that. Um, Then I studied civil engineering and find myself myself during the studies a little bit... um, disconnected with the topic because there was a lot of math and chemistry and stuff and then suddenly soil mechanics and ground engineering appeared and i loved it and it it came very very easily um, to me Um, after or during the study uh, my university there was an opportunity to spend time overseas and i went to malaysia twice and again found my um, passion for ground engineering i will talk about mentors later on but I found one of the key mentors of my career um, in Malaysia. Um, After my studies, I joined Frankie Pyle or Frankie Grundbau in Germany um, and uh, worked for them for about four to five years. Um, Due to all these different systems, um, Frankie Pyle, the Atlas Pyle, full displacement systems, basically every job was a design and construct job. And I got into that uh, mindset very early in my career. I was very grateful in hindsight because it was not just the technical design of piles, foundation elements, um, retaining systems, and so on, but um, also the commercial side was very important. And uh, just understanding different piling systems, different foundation systems, getting a good understanding where do they sit technically, where do they sit commercially, and where we could place our system um, and provide value to the client. Um, I then joined um, a joint venture uh, between Frankie and Mena to install controlled modulus columns or to introduce them in Germany for, for large infrastructure jobs. And it was very interesting, almost like a startup. Um, so it was basically, uh, Colleague of mine, um, probably the same age, he looked after the technical side. I, I said, I want to go to site and really um, get some, some experience there. And I worked with French crews, with German crews. And um, back then, uh, probably 20 years ago, um, these displacement systems were new. And we didn't know a lot about all the issues with heave and ground displacement and stuff. And I learned it the hard way that suddenly the the entire um, ground was heaved. One 300 millimeters and um we had to think about and not a problem if you have an earth embankment but if you have a concrete slab so these are the pivotal moments in or were in my career really thinking about systems and there was an opportunity back then in 2005 um after spent about a year working on three major projects in this jv i was quite exhausted needed a change and um my uh, wife or back then she was still my girlfriend. we moved to Sydney. What an adventure I'm um, working in Australia um, and uh, again I never thought that I could work overseas with with piling and it, it all worked at a lot of basements in Sydney and uh, worked for a piling contractor spent about two years there before um, I joined a company in Queensland and Brisbane um, or piling contractors they are now part of the Keller group. Spent about eight years in Brisbane. And again, that was really pivotal for my career. Got involved in um, big infrastructure jobs, big building jobs. Um, Got a little bit into this niche of the project manager for DNC, for a bit of complex jobs. And this is what I loved, really, this this, um, out of the ordinary um, uh, thinking and um, delivering these jobs. when when the mining industry in australia um uh, became a little bit weaker and there wasn't a lot of money there um there was an opportunity for me to think about the next career move and um, then move to new zealand and again uh, um, i knew somebody who worked at brian Perry's, um, nick Womby um, i not sure if um, probably a lot of people know nick um and um he left brian perry's and he said oh look martin would you be interested i was thrilled i was involved in a bit of work in new zealand and brian perry was part of fletchers and they did very interesting things and suddenly we got this seismic component particularly for ground improvement which was new for me and i i joined them it was a fantastic time i built a fantastic team Um, Six engineers. Um, We did a lot of temporary work supporting Fletcher's as a general contract and various infrastructure building jobs, marine jobs. Suddenly working in the South Pacific was very popular. Morgan Pile testing in in American Samoa, Pile testing in Fiji. Um, Unfortunately, I never got the gig to go there, Um, but uh, I I sent a few of my my team members there. And um, yeah, it was it was fantastic uh, for everybody. After about 20 years, there was a point um, when I thought, all right, we probably would like to explore consulting. And during my career, I did a lot of work with Golder Associates in Australia. And I moved, uh, I joined Golder for about two years and moved back from New Zealand to, to Brisbane um and yeah basically was on a split role so i spent a lot of time in australia but also uh, was asked to move back to new zealand and help the business out the interesting aspect back then with Golder was they had a ground improvement uh, business as well they did reps um, ramp aggregate peers um, in uh, in new zealand so they provided the design and i loved that because there was a bit of a uh, a bridge between pure consultancy—you know the, the the high high tech uh, stuff uh, using finite elements and and, and other things—but also going really back to the basics, going to a site, applying ground improvement, going back with a CPT rig and see if it worked or not. And um, after two years, and that was when um, when COVID hit the world, um, we wanted to go back to New Zealand. Um, because we had our house here, and um, it was just a personal uh, choice, and it took us a while to go back. And then, um, yeah, we finally made it, and we had some um, managed quarantine here, so we spent two weeks, and uh, it was it was a more personal experience. But I joined Jacobs back then, and they were very very helpful and accommodating um, to bring me back um, uh, back home. And yes, yeah, since then I've been with Jacobs. Um, Based in Wellington or in the Wellington region, um, but I've been involved in jobs um, in New Zealand, in Australia, in Asia, mainly about piling, ground improvement, uh, working with a great team and yeah that's that's basically my career in a nutshell so we finally found our um our place where we want to grow old um and um it's it's a fantastic country it's a fantastic industry i love the exposure um also working in australia and and asia and around the world and um so yes this is where i am right now and a bit of a snapshot about the the key career steps
0: that's awesome, and I love that a lot of when you were describing a lot of the different areas with all of the the technical accomplishments and a lot of the papers that you've written, you often, in in a lot of those examples you kept bringing it back to getting out into the field and the practical side of not just being in front of the computer and designing things, but seeing the practical implications of what you're doing in the field and making those adjustments. Um, you. T- on a couple of people, and I'd love for you to expand on that, particularly earlier in your career or throughout your career, uh, some of the different mentors that have been important to you and how those relationships started and developed.
1: Um, there were a lot of people who helped me throughout the career, but um, in preparation um, for this for this uh, chat today, I thought a lot about that. And I think I would really like to differentiate between a mentor um, and and all the other people. Probably I came up, I had three mentors uh, throughout my career, and um, they all basically touched different areas um, of my of my development. And the first one was clearly um, Dr. Lowe in Malaysia. When I came to Malaysia as a young engineer, probably not really knowing what's going on, it was an adventure coming from Germany to Malaysia um, probably um, 25 years ago. And um, just working locally for a local consultancy and um really had the opportunity to to live locally. So I shared a flat with um three Indian draftsmen and um so they basically adopted me and it was fantastic really getting this this um uh, opportunity to to be part um of, of their culture and um it's um from a technical point and um, dr Lowe really stretched me and he gave me opportunities and i was amazed he was the the director of a small consultancy that probably 50 people or something like that and he took the time and i was amazed um this guy takes time and uh, he talks to me for an hour and he was this really out of the box thinker um one example when um they were involved in the design of an of a oil and gas supply platform in Borneo um, in East Malaysia and it was very difficult to get geosynthetics and said, look, it's basically the middle of the jungle. And he came up with this bamboo reinforcement. So they basically put um, bamboo uh, as a reinforcement of soil reinforcement on top of the, the, the marine clays and built embankments on top. And it worked. Settlements were a little bit higher, but if you have a supply platform without any high-rise buildings, that that was um, that was perfectly okay. And I was just amazed by by that. He took time, and he really gave me the opportunities. I had to work hard. That's what I learned as well. So Southeast Asia back then, six- day working week was normal. and uh, but I didn't mind. I loved it. and I he really ignited my passion for ground engineering and um i really learned and say, all right now i know i want to become a, a civil engineer i want to be a geotechnical engineer and i loved every bit of it and he taught me and he he spent a lot of time um bringing me out to site looking at slopes he had this little funny thing you know like um um people have um or seafarers have when they when they look at the stars, you had this little thing and he could could assess slope stability or slope angles. And he said, look, Martin, look at this slope. What is it? And I said, oh, 60 degree angle. Pretty, uh, pretty good. He said, go back to the office and put it in your software. I said, oh, factor of safety is point four. It shouldn't be there. He said, all right, that's the first lesson. Um, your calcs this is a model and this is the reality on site two weeks later we went back and there was a heavy rainfall and the slope looked different and yeah it was only 45 degrees but still um that was important to learn that um we're just dealing with models in the office and it's very important to look go on site the other thing back then um i was involved in doing um, investigations in the jungle i loved it and I was amazed. We did 80-meter-deep boreholes and uh, took samples for lab testing as well. And there was always the question, um, how do you determine your um, your soil samples, the depth, the material? And working with other designers, they sometimes didn't know. And I found it amazing. They asked me and said, so, yeah, tell us. And I said, look, I don't know your design. And Dr. Low came and said, look, that's the next lesson. Lots of designers, they probably sometimes they are not sure what they're looking for and really think about your design why do you need that um why do you need an 80 meter deep borehole how many tests do you need why do you need them what do what do you want to achieve and that was another very important um, aspect and he just provided opportunities he was this type of person he was working i think sometimes i thought his day had 48 hours because he was always working <laughs> and doing cool stuff and you know, he knocked on my on my door at ten p.m. and came in with this passion and enthusiasm and showed me something. He said, "Oh look, um, there's another job. You have to see this and this and this." And I pick you up tomorrow at six a.m. And then he he drove back home. And I thought he drives one hour home through KL. And I said, "Hang on," and he he will pick me up at six, so he has to leave at five. He probably got four hours sleep. And then he picked me up the next morning, going somewhere in KL back then without internet. I had no idea where I was. And then we met somebody else. I spent three days on a construction site. And saw really cool, advanced stuff um they were doing with slope stability, um, repair. And, yeah, it was amazing. And um so that was certainly the first mentor, and he really ignited this passion for for ground engineering in me. and, I'm still very grateful um, that he took the time and the pain to, um, to go through because back then um, Asia was a bit of, yeah, was very difficult because um, um, the currencies were affected by these um, stock crash, um, but it was fantastic. So that was the first one and it really gave me a bit of, um, or basically ignited my passion for um, ground engineering in particular. The second one was my first was um Horst, Horst hennings at uh, frankie and um probably it was an accidental mentor i really figured it out um later on and um, unfortunately Horst passed away um, a few years ago and uh, we became friends after i left um frankie and in hindsight Horst had really this, he had this high work ethic. He was a controversial person. All of my mentors, they were somehow controversial. Um, they did things a different way. And that Horst really took the time and um, said, look, you need at least two years um, from graduating to really understanding what it all means, particularly in piling. And I looked at these Frankie piling rigs. I said, What the heck is that? I've never seen something like that. And um, just driving this bulb out, and I thought, whoa, um, (laughs) this almost sounds like black magic. But it all it all worked, and it took time. And back then, Frankie had this attitude and say, look, we employ young people for the long term, and we really we are interested in your development. And again, they took the time, and um, particular uh, my mentor, he allowed me to. To make mistakes small mistakes so what does it mean if if the piling rig idles for a day or two on a small job it probably didn't kill the job um instead of whatever 10 percent profit we probably just broke even but to to allow me <laughs> to go through the pain dealing with a client because we haven't negotiated in detail working platform access working platform maintenance who is responsible Um, thinking about access for concrete trucks um, all these things the small things that can be really really um, important to manage a piling job um, I learned there and again it was painful but Horst provided me with the tools so he gave me all these tools and um, there were a lot of uncomfortable situations um, but I learned that I can Go through it myself. I can manage them myself, and I knew that he was always in the back. And if it got too ugly, um, he stepped in. But he also said, "No, you can do that. You can do that. Come on. You basically um, you have all the skills and um, just talk there. They're just people. Talk to them, and it it was very, very valuable. and I learned a lot back then, and so I basically got the the passion. Um, I got the tools, and then I worked for about. 10 years. Um, and when I moved to Queensland in Australia, that was the third um, person and he probably was more an accidental mentor. And again, um, very grateful Mark Kleiner um, was back then managing director of Piling Contractors. But Mark gave me opportunities. And um, later on, he became, um, I think, chief executive of uh, Keller in um, Southeast Southeast Asia. Um, Mark was very important for me because um, I always had the impression I don't know why he believed in me he saw something in me I didn't see and um, he provided me with great opportunities for example um, back then piling contractors sponsored my PhD and that was very controversial as well a lot of people said, oh why do you do that and it was about um, drill displacement piles or columns and um, of course, there was a business interest, but, um, in Australia, there's an opportunity that, um, if an industry sponsor, a sponsors a PhD, um, the government will provide additional funding. And it could be very interesting, um, from a commercial perspective, um, for uh, industry partners and also from a long-term thing. And this is what Mark provided as well. He said, look, the long-term, this is absolutely valuable. And back then, um, piling contractors was probably the biggest piling company in australia and um, so yeah he made the funding available and he really um fought for me um, with uh, with the top docs at keller um really made a case and again i was impressed i said wow this guy is really investing um time uh, for me and I, I found that great and um so he really helped me to get my phd up and running and um and the second thing was um, basically also providing provided me access to a color management program in Australia. So really helped me to get some basic skills for, for the next step in my career. I found myself after 10 years in a spot where I said, oh, look, I probably know a lot about the technicalities of pile design and, and other things. Of course, I can always get better. But what is my next step in my career? Where do I want to go? And he really helped me about that. And um Then, of course, later on, um, Keller had this group technology committee um, and Again, I was very privileged that um, I spent a few years there representing um, Australia for for deep foundations. So we met every six months. And this is where I met a few uh, colleagues from Hayward Baker and back then Anderson Drilling. Um, We we had a bit of a technology transfer with Anderson. So we, we sent a few of our engineers across to San Diego. They sent people to Australia helping us, particularly implementing polymer support fluids, which was fantastic, even if. If we look at the younger colleagues we sent across from a mentoring perspective, um, that was a highlight and just learning from um, uh, different people in in different companies. And it was all very friendly because um, we were not competing with each other. We were part of one network and there was so much to learn. So again, um, these were probably the three people um, that influenced my career um, the most and gave me the passion the tools, and then the the next opportunities for me to grow, and um, so that was very important for my career.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that I've, I've seen interested in from that answer, but also that you touched on when you were just describing uh, your career, is that you, there have been opportunities that have come up, but those opportunities also involved significant change, whether it's a change of job or a change in country or continent. And I think one of the things I see sometimes in young engineers is uh, a bit of paralysis. They're af- maybe, I don't want to necessarily use the word afraid, but uncertain about making uh, a big leap like that. Um, and if, if we could maybe expand on one of those uh, uh, opportunities in particular where yeah, you you changed either companies or locations and it just yielded some unexpected results into the next phase of your career.
1: Um, it was certainly the first time when I went from my safe Frankie um, role into site management, construction management, whatever you want to call it with um, with Minard, Frankie joint venture suddenly dealing with French crews and I I just uh, my French language skills from school um, suddenly came came back. It was very interesting, very challenging um, dealing with a new system. Again, it was um, it wasn't always pleasant. It's like going back to the gym and um, yeah, you, you you feel the sore muscles. But again, you train these or I trained these muscles and it was very, very beneficial. That was one thing. Um, the other thing, moving to Australia, probably what I see in hindsight. And when I talk with my wife about we said, God, we in certain points, we were naive. But I think sometimes sometimes. Um, uh, this is required not to see all the risks at all or they're perceived anyway and um but that was a quantum leap and again um uh, yeah in hindsight probably I don't know if I w- would have done that this way but um it worked out very well and it takes a bit of um faith it probably takes um ideally a partner if it's for for personal move um or um, Other steps, probably having somebody um, can use as a sounding board or people you can trust, say, look, um, probably try something new. Um, And probably also trust. I trusted myself and was really um, also listening to my intuition and said, look, is it really what I want? Um, Another big step for me was going to New Zealand, uh, working for a main contractor. Um, And uh, again, it was a bit of a nervous feeling in the stomach and say, whoa, suddenly I will have a team and um, uh, it's a new country. I don't know a lot about seismicity, but I found um, being authentic and understanding my limitations really helps on being open and honest with people. And they know they they looked at my CV. We had interviews. They know, look, this is something new. And they say, look, we don't expect you to um, to be perfect. But I think um, putting the right work in, the, having the right ethic about it, um, and being honest about the own um, skills and own limitations and say, look, sorry, I don't know that, um, but I'm happy to go back, um, look at it, or um, I know somebody who, who could help. So again, I think sometimes um, I found myself struggling when I thought I have to do it all on my own. And never experienced it if, if I was asking somebody for help and being really honest and not just doing or cleaning up my mess, but say, look, I have a problem here. Um, and um, everybody so far in my life was very helpful and responsive. And at least um, like on the um, picture in the background, reaching out and say, come on, I give you a hand and then basically help me to go to the next level. And from there I can go on um, on my own. Another big one was uh, moving from contracting into consultancy and a uh, particular company like um, Golda. Again, my perception, I did a lot of work with Golda and um, knew a lot of people like Chris Haberfield or Gary Chapman. Um, they um very, very experienced, very, very skilled people. I feel privileged to have worked with them. And... Um, yeah, working in an organization like um, like Golda um, was a great privilege. And again, I was a bit nervous when I started. Um, probably some people may be surprised, others may smile and say, "Hey, we 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 know that." And this is the thing. Sometimes um, I thought, "Oh, people don't know that I'm nervous." And talking to them afterwards. Of course we knew, and um, <laughs> but you did well and um, everybody is. And so I think also it helped me not taking myself too seriously and just allowing myself um, to show this little bit of vulnerability and said, I don't know that I'm not perfect um, or even with some finite element um, stuff. Yeah, I'm a bit rusty. I used Plexus the first time in Malaysia in 2020. Um, and then I had a long break and working for contractors um, back then, yeah, Plexus wasn't available. And then after a few years, I got back into it at Fletcher's. And But um, it, it, it for me, it went very quickly to get back into certain things. But having the, the honesty um, towards myself uh, first place and say, I don't know that, or I'm a little bit rusty, it was quite important for me.
0: I really appreciate that answer because I, I had a conversation on another podcast last year where We were talking about young engineers and i i I love the answer that they don't need to have all the answers we don't expect people to come in with perfection or knowing everything and that i've always said it's knowing what you don't know is as important as being comfortable with what you do know um and then the authenticity and the honesty um to be comfortable with that so on the subject of let's say with with the younger engineers or recent graduates for a second um we know that companies have changed a little bit at least in in north america i think i don't maybe some of countries or in other countries around the world they might have been a little more forward thinking but companies i do think are starting to take a little bit more of a a proactive approach um, to training and mentorship um but if you're uh, giving advice to a younger engineer in terms of a what they should look for in terms of their opportunities if they're evaluating um, the opportunities they might have in a certain company and B the what should those young engineers themselves have as characteristics that they should bring to the table to make the most of those opportunities?
1: Um that's a great question. And I think when I look back at my career, um mentorship was something, yeah, that I hadn't heard about it and you just did it. And when I graduated, I sent 350 job applications and I got three interviews. Um, it was a slightly different extreme. And I think now, on um, some companies, we are probably a little bit at the other end. Um, there's a lot of effort spent in mentoring, which is great. But what I also found is that um, some of the younger colleagues, they sometimes see the mentor as somebody who fixes their problems. And um, not somebody who provides them with the tools, skills, or perspective to be able to solve their own problems. And um, I see that um, these days that um, some people they just probably looking for an easy way out. And I, I don't say that in a, in a in a mean way or in a nasty way. Um, it's important um, for companies to provide this platform of additional training and providing mentorship. But I was in a few situations at various companies where somebody said, oh, do you want to be my mentor? And I said, oh, yeah, why not? And then um, yeah. I I always feel it with who's, who's doing the talk when when we catch up. And um, when there's silence, and I said, what do you want? Why do you want me as a mentor? Oh, yeah, mm, you're quite senior. I said, yeah, <laughs> I am. But that comes with time. I haven't done anything. So it's not really anything done actively. But um, what do you really want from me? Um, Yeah, I want a bit of advice. And sometimes they are not really certain what they want. And I think the first thing um, would be really being clear about what do you want to mentor? Um, And what I probably not expect, but what um, my vision from a mentor and mentee is that um, somebody would come to me with, Questions with um, yeah with some um, with some maybe problems with um, challenges where they really struggle. But um, I also um, would like to see that they've already tried certain things and not with not starting at at, at, at zero. And um, I think sometimes um, it is too easy these days um, for younger colleagues to to go and just use this network and. Uh, it's very important don't get me wrong but sometimes um, i think we should encourage um, our younger colleagues to to really be clear about what they want and my advice would always be find your passion what is your passion because this is the for me it's the driver and um the passion something um it gives me the energy to to push through bad times or tough times when i don't have that and when i don't know where that is um i probably should should just yeah look for it and if it takes days or weeks or months so be it but i think everybody has the passion and really thinking about it and sometimes i find myself being dragged into day-to-day stuff and i think oh i haven't done whatever, certain activity, Um, for example, mentoring is one of of these things. Um, Giving a seminar or talk um, or R&D is another driver for me. And of course, there's not 100% R&D opportunities for me every day. But this is the thing in the background um, that really keeps me going. That gives me this is my fuel. And then it's the other thing where what is the real problem, and what are the tools that I'm missing? And um, sometimes, as a mentee, I didn't know that. And again, I I would encourage um, people to think about that and say, look, what is it really? Um, if if I get the time from a mentor, this is very precious and 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 valuable time. So I want to do them, make the most out of it. Um, so what is missing and uh, probably even thinking about one or two approaches um, I've already used to to solve that problem. And if that wasn't successful, then probably going back and say, look, I, I need some, some input. And I remember that when I was younger um, and particularly my father um, probably didn't listen to me as a mentor, but I was so upset uh, because i asked him so many times about advice and he said look you want me to tell you what to do but i can't do that um and i said no but you know me and i'm really stuck he said no sorry i wouldn't do you a favor because i would give you my advice and this is not your advice if you don't know it yet probably go through the pain and wait do something um but but find it yourself i can't find it for you and Back then, I didn't understand it, and I was really—I was hoping he will—he would tell me what to do. Um, but he didn't, and again, that was a very, very valuable learning. And um, I would encourage every everybody, regardless where where you are in your career, if you're a graduate or if you're a mid-career or senior, um, really think about the passion first, because for me, it was the real driver. And um, it basically carried me through my PhD, which I did in part time, um, and um, it it was this constant driver um, where I knew, all right, there is this little little um, fire in the background that 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 uh, basically pushes me through all these problems.
0: You mentioned something that we have discussed sort of offline a little bit uh, in this last answer, and that's that mentorship shouldn't just stop with young engineers or it shouldn't be exclusively for new engineers and you you mentioned mid-level uh or mid-career um as an important time too can you talk a little bit about why that's uh, equally important and how it changes um from a younger engineer to what um, a a mid-career engineer might need
1: i think with younger engineers it's generally a little bit easier um, because there's still a lot of opportunity of things they can take in from a technical side and it's probably more important to probably get a a really solid technical foundation Um, what i found with myself at a certain point in my career i thought all right what's next Um, do i want to go a more technical career path or do i want to become a manager doing an mba or phd for me that was the big question and I was lucky enough to um, somebody like Mark Kleiner just allowing me to work on a challenging project that had all the answers for me and um, and also we had some, some sessions about that what do I really want um, in w- what I found that sometimes In this whole mentoring uh, process we forget about people there at about 10 or 15 years of experience and they they have all the technical skills not all of them but they're probably really really robust and they say look how do i get into this leadership thing basically getting from management into leadership um, getting these soft skills um learning the these abilities to to mentor others and i think Most of us probably do that intuitively. And so, yeah, we do it somehow and and follow our intuition. But I think probably in a more structured way, um, there's a lot we can learn about that as well. Um, But really supporting these people because they helping them to basically move into a leadership position um, where they can then start mentoring as well and basically giving back for me mentoring is really giving back um to the to the colleagues to the industry and um particularly this this mid career people um or even if I look at myself um, 25 years of experience um, um just challenging companies and say look what's what what do you provide for somebody like me and um i found these these discussions very interesting um because sometimes HR, they they really pause for a moment. They say, wow, yeah, good question. <laughs> I don't have the answer. Or I do a lot of work for Engineering New Zealand. And we had these discussions as well. And they just changed their, um, um, their training program and just basically start with with a um, basic level and then go to advanced levels. But um, I think, and I don't have an answer Um uh about that how we treat people let's say with 10 15 years plus experience and um it's, it's really important because um what do we do with these people when we get them up they they can provide all this mentorship and all this this um a good culture culture um the providing the the passion to younger colleagues and all these things and i think it's very very important and I know that some companies do it, but it's probably more an individual driver. And if if you're in this situation and you you don't know what to do, probably look around and um, find somebody and, and just reach out and, and again, get opinions and say, look, I don't really know what to do. And again, from my experience, and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a very um, experienced colleague about that again just providing a different perspective sometimes helps and um yeah, not telling what they what they should do but um just providing options and probably a slightly different view but it's it's great to see that this has changed a lot and um yeah again when i think back uh when i started my career it yeah it didn't have that um as a direct mentorship it was probably different back then because I found that at least the companies I worked for, they spent more time in training people. We didn't call it mentorship back then, but it was still this responsibility um, of companies. They felt for their employees and saying, look, this is long term. And I know at funky. Um, We had three generations of uh, family members working for the company. You know, um, grandfather just retired and uh, grandson just started his apprenticeship, which which I found amazing. it's it's about culture and um, just providing people with a bit of, um, yeah, home outside the home, if you know what I mean.
0: I, I do. And I think what you've described is excellent because there's just a reality of if you're someone who's very interested in engineering, you can learn, as you said, all of the, the technical stuff as you grow. But unless you're just working all by yourself, there is, you're going to have to learn to manage, to interact with other people, both younger and older and all of those soft skills that you touched on. So that's uh, something I think it's important for companies to be considering as these people continue to progress in the structure uh, of the company. So uh, with that though, it's time for us to take a very brief break and to recognize this week's sponsor and then we'll be right back.
2: Hey, students and young professionals. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Morgan's Mentors. TFI is thrilled to have you here. Besides great podcasts like this one, DFI has lots to offer you as you prepare and begin your career in the Deep Foundation's construction and geotechnical engineering industry. I'm Teresa Engler, Executive Director of the Deep Foundations Institute, and I'd love for you to get started by becoming a member. Student membership is free and individual membership for young professionals is very affordable. Once you've joined, check out DFI's communities of technical committees, task forces, working groups, and user groups. They're all busy addressing issues affecting deep foundation practices, and by getting involved with them, you'll build your professional network. Also, be sure to browse the publications and resources pages of dfi.org. You'll find magazine articles, technical papers, research reports, manuals and guidelines, plus videos and career information. Students don't miss applying for scholarships. Applications are open in the spring and the fall, and also participate in our annual paper competition. There's also a competition for young professors and grants for female professionals. We value your involvement as the future industry leaders. Now, back to Morgan.
0: Okay, well, we would like to thank Dr. Martin Larish again for joining us today. And Martin, as we've you've talked a lot about the different aspects of mentorship throughout a person's career, if you could just maybe just summarize in a nutshell what you think about mentorship and what it should be.
1: Um, I think I probably can boil it down in in one sentence. It's 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 really not, in my opinion, a mentor shouldn't fix the problems, um, but provide uh, the mentee with new perspectives. Um, tools um, and opportunities to solve these problems themselves. So this is probably in a nutshell, how I would describe that.
0: I love it. Um, And again, I really appreciate your time. It's always a pleasure to see you, but before you go, we have one final question that we always ask every guest. And that is if you could interview anyone for this podcast or see me interview anyone on the podcast, uh, living or uh, no longer with us, who would that
1: be and why? I think I would be interested in hearing the thoughts from Nikola Tesla, uh, particularly about free energy, you know, this whole thing, this whole concept about that. And if we imagine how free energy would change the world, uh, it it would just be amazing. So um, it would be really interesting to explore that and uh, it would be a really change uh game changer and um yeah that would be nice
0: i think that's an interesting answer i, I don't disagree with you either because the way you describe some of your mentors as uh, sometimes being a little bit controversial i think nikola tesla fits right in there with that so that's awesome um well that's great and again i appreciate uh your, your time martin and for all of you out there we appreciate you listening and We look forward to you joining us again for future episodes as we talk to more of Morgan's mentors. And until then, remember, the truth will send a ripple through your body. On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views, information, and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification, or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Thank you for your time. Keep on surviving.